Welcome back to Demo Jockeys. I'm Jack Cochran. And I am Adam DiTomaso. We're continuing our story. We're continuing our story. Sure, we're continuing our storytelling this week. <laughs> Going through the book, Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall. Last week, we were talking a bit about hyper-realism, and today we're going to be going through talking about things around mirroring. If you're following along in the book, really a lot of what we're going to talk about is around the mind of a storyteller, uh, getting into what is it that actually makes a story stick in someone's mind, which Adam and I, you and I were having a conversation beforehand, just kind of, you know chatting as we do before the show begins we were talking a little about a little bit about marvel uh and we have different takes on marvel adam talk to me about the marvel universe i know you're a fan right oh i'm a huge fan i, I mean it is a little generational i mean i think because i grew up I mean, born in 75 grew up in the 80s i read comic books and i read comic books religiously had subscriptions delivered to my house to go to the comic book store and pick them up buy new comics comics comic comics <laughs> So it's funny, as all these Marvel movies came out, and my friends and I, going back almost 20 years ago when these things started coming out, started to go to them together. And we knew the stories. We knew what was going to happen. You knew Iron Man wasn't going to die. Or you knew Iron Man was going to die in the last Infinity Saga, uh, close of the Infinity Saga there, that endgame, because Robert Downey Jr. wanted to retire. (laughs) So... (laughs) I mean, for other reasons, maybe, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you, you, you have the, you know, all the stories like inside and out. Every right? single one. I mean, um, and you find enjoyment in that because of like, do you, do you think you like the movies because of the comic books, or would you have liked them completely on their own? Like, what's your, like, if you've never been a comic completely book, on our, on their own, is this it still is a- still your style of movie? Oh yeah, it's an action movie. It's a powerful. It's you know, it's 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 everything. It's it's all the elements of a great story. I will say that when you think about yeah. that conflict, success, conflict, you know, rock bottom, coming back, little hero win. journey built into there. Every, oh yeah, all Which, the all over the place. It's funny because the hero's journey is very. I again love writing in my books, but it's story equals character plus uh, predicament plus attempted extraction or execution or just getting it getting stuff done, and that is reference to the idea of a universal grammar of a story. That again, something this book gets into, and it talks, of course, getting to our topic about mirroring. But I think it's interesting because. All stories, Marvel movies, completely not connected to what we're talking, you know, not related to this book, but yet this book is explaining exactly how all of those stories are executed. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, I I mean, from my take, like, I like I liked the Marvel movies enough. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can I be more vague? <laughs> I like them, right? Uh, but honestly, I couldn't tell, other than a couple of them which are pretty distinct mostly like the earlier ones before stuff got really complex like i couldn't tell you the plot of the the one with the guy that that's got the thing old age of ultron age of i remember it age of ultron Ultron, vision birth of vision (laughs) yeah exactly that that guy (laughs) who's the wandavision spinoff dude by the wonderful paul bentley yeah you can see this is my lack of understanding I, i honestly I, I think I've actually seen that one twice, and I don't remember the plot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I without... don't remember. I don't remember it, right? But it's it, but 
that's what's interesting to me is because you you've got this complete vision of everything, which made me as we we're talking about, it, I was like, well, wait a minute. You've also consumed these movies in a different medium, right? Yes. Because you not only had the movies you were watching, but you also had something you were reading. So you were going at something from multiple mediums, which I wonder if that's caused it to stick more in your brain than if you had just watched it. You know, that's... You know, 20 minutes ago when we were talking about this, I kind of was like, yeah, that's the reason I, I agreed with you. And now thinking about it a little bit more, I kind of don't. Hmm. And I'll explain that. Here's the thing. Um, I don't think it's so much based on the medium as, as opposed to the base of the love of the story. Think about this. There are plenty of fans out there of the Marvel Universe that, to be direct, did not read comic books. I've never read True. the comic books. Yeah. And have these things, these these stories. And I'm a fan of Marvel. I know all about Iron Man. No, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you think you do. You know all you about know. Iron Man in Disney's Marvel Universe. Right. Right. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. But I you're mean, right. You're right. There are people who do absolutely know every fine tooth detail. And it's some of them it's because they've watched it a hundred times. Like anything you watch that often is going to do it. But there are some people that only watched it a few times and they still... They kind of know every plot point. So that's true. That's true. But do you think that you're... Because you have the additional context from the comic books, it's like you you have two tellings of the story, of the same story. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if that's caused it to be a more... Like get entrenched in your brain a little bit more than just having one telling of the story. I... Yes and no, but I also think it's an environmental thing. For me, um, this is a Marvel for like a lot of people can be a bit of a hobby and and for comic book readers and and there's always a competition of who has what knowledge. And um, it, it's true with with any with any group, That's... whether you're talking about, it's funny. look at this let's, let's draw a comparison here. Type A personality salespeople. And sales, when we're going in and we're going into a meeting, we're all typically type A people. We want to get the job done. We want to get it done right. And therefore, we want to be prepared by having an expert, your SC, having the salesperson who's going to potentially run the meeting if they're doing their role the way they want to do or the way they potentially are designed to do it. And they're both in the idea of like, not necessarily, but we are experts in what we do and we're here to educate you and, and be that expert. And when we're around other experts, we're still going to say, hey, we're all experts. Look how great we are. Mm -hmm. And it's that cross-contamination of knowledge. Now, if you look at comic book folks and there's, the in the Marvel universe, there's comic book people. Notice they're not Marvel comic book people. They're not DC comic book people. They're just comic book people because they read all comics. and. Right. But they still have all of that base nine out lodge. And when they get and you get five people in the room who all say they've read comics, it's like getting five alpha salespeople in the room that all say they can close deals and run meetings. <laughs> okay. You're drawing a comparison for me, I can understand now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's that the type of personality more of just loving the knowledge of whatever yes. you're into, right? Um, which would draw you no matter what to uh, to try and absorb and learn and be able to regurgitate or be the top dog or whatever call whatever whatever you have, interesting. Um, 
No, that's very, that's very interesting. Now think about this concept too, Jack. If you're now this book, the storytelling animal is great because it tells us how to dissect stories. And I think what we're talking about here is how are we using these stories? Oh yeah. So when, when you're giving a presentation, um, in a meeting, in a business situation, you are giving the story. Now, when you explain that story and you tell that story, let's look at a Marvel movie. Tony's Marvel movies, Tony Stark Marvel movies, you know, Iron Man would be pretty darn boring if we actually saw Tony Stark sitting down in front of a computer and doing 20 hours of code writing. <laughs> he just did this and like everything worked <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about <laughs> but like let's all uh, like the science behind this says you got to sit down at a computer and write I mean, some code to do all that cool i mean stuff. there's a lot of coding that went into what i mean the idea that one person could have done that and not aged 40 years to get the right. completed product is hence the suspension of disbelief of superhero movies to begin with <laughs> Exactly. But I mean, and to kind of continue that thought process, that, that kind of leads you to what we were, the montage, where they have the montage of him showing, doing one screw and writing, clicking one button on a keyboard and everything's there. So that's what you're kind of doing in your meeting and in your presentation. You're giving that montage of your particular business point. You don't want to go too deep. You don't want to go too high level. You want to find that nice flow to execute your point. Yeah. I yeah. I like that. That's a, that that's a really interesting idea because you know, there's no way, you know, that we were going to sit down and watch Tony. We, we don't need to sit there and watch Tony go through piece by piece, screw by screw, assembling the suit, uh, mostly because the physics wouldn't work out anyways. But we don't want to see everything being built. We don't need to see it. We as consumers of the story go, ah, I know what's happening here. He's, he's, he's building, he's coding. Got it. I'm following what's going on. He's a super genius so it's all way beyond what tech is available today. I don't have to be told that. What's interesting, though, is that is there a point that you can go too high on a montage where someone's like, what was the, what happened? Is, or is that the point of every montage is you're sort of saying, we're just going from point A to point B in a transition? I think it's point A to point B in a transition. I mean, at any one point in time, you can always go too high or too low and lose your point and have run-on sentences that just kind of derail the entire story and conversation because uh, yeah, you yeah. put too much thought and detail into it. But it's funny because when you were explaining that and what you were saying, that one of the phrases that popped into my head that I often heard from salespeople before was, don't show how the sausage is made. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, from from a from a selling perspective when we're in presentations and in meetings the how the how we got there unless if this is a training which i want to put anything relating to training someone on how to use something completely in a separate topic but if this is the, if this is a selling motion where i'm trying to help someone see the value of what i'm bringing to them either from a service or for a product or some type of an offering mm -hmm. if i skip the how it's actually not a bad thing. I don't need to show someone how I built the Iron Man suit. I, right. I can say, we started here, suit, output value is, you know, multi-million dollar Marvel franchise. Whatever, whatever, your, whatever your output is, you don't, you're right, you don't really need all that much detail. You just need something to help show that we got there. Right. Because you're letting someone kind of build their own story 
while you're doing that in their mind, which is the point of the montage, right? And the point, I think, of what we're getting at here and a point that is made in the book, when people are drawing their own connections between ideas and concepts, stuff starts to stick in their brain more than if you had walked them through everything they need to think. Yes, because they're building the story in their own mind and they're creating a connection to what you're actually saying. Yeah, and that's that's hard to do sometimes. That's actually scary to do sometimes because what if you stick... Well, here's another thought. What if you go so high level they're drawing a story you don't want them to draw. Like, that's a real possibility, too. Well, yeah, particularly in sales and in business, because what that translates to me is, are you telling the same story that your competitor is telling and you're blurring the field, the vision? <laughs> that's also the problem, right? I have certainly had that happen. I'm sure you have as well, where someone will come back to you and ask you about a concept you know you didn't present, and it's because you were so similar to the competition mm -hmm. that they can't keep it straight anymore. They're not drawing they're not pulling together a good story about you. They're just pulling together random concepts that they're being told from different competitors, which is a real problem. Like we want them when they're in a meeting with us to draw the same conclusion. This, and this goes back to what I was asking about the Marvel movies. Cause I was starting to draw some thoughts together, both based upon some concepts from this chapter, as well as, your explanation of being loving the comic books and the movies. I can just tell, do a demo and be done. And I think my chance of someone remembering that, I think science says is like, they're going to remember 10% or something like that of what you say. Right. But then what if I send them a recording of a demo that's a short snippet afterwards? And what if I send them something to read? What if I then tell them about a customer who's done the same thing? And then what if I, I don't know, buy a billboard ad and near their office. I don't know. But the more that I do those things, I feel like at least, I'd love to get your thought. I feel like the more that I'm doing that, the more I'm helping them to to come to the same conclusion over and over again through different mediums, which should help to solidify me in their brain with that singular story. Yeah, you're doing two things. You're absolutely, you're solidifying your story. You're making them remember you, which is going to make them naturally remember more of what you said. But you're also there's there's there, you know there's there's reward in persistence and there's reward in in being the one that, that being the most memorable. Yep. And well, yeah. That's and that can work in your favor or in your you know against you. But hopefully, from a sales perspective, it's always going to work in your favor if you're delivering. <laughs> if you're memorable message. for the right reasons, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's a good point. Like you want to be the most memorable. I mean, if we unpack that for a second. How will people remember what you said? What's like, I know the book has some answers about that, but like if you think about presentations you've been provided, what makes you remember that? I have an awesome story for that. I'd love to hear it. I have an awesome story. This is probably one of my more favorite moments in my career. Um, there was a meeting. I, w I was working for a, a company, a data company at the time. And the company did basically two things, A and B, we'll call it, just because that's not the point. We go on site, we do this big, giant presentation. All the senior people are there. It's, it's a room of 30 people. And the first hour was technical. And it's funny, you know, you talk about remembering and all of these pieces, sending, you know, sending this, sending that. But also take in mind what you wear is memorable. When you go on site... The image that you present and carry in your personality is going to be part of what makes people remember you. So keep that in mind as I tell this story. 
the gentleman that I, um, there was three of us that were from my company that were on site to give this meeting. First person, very technical. And this person was a very buttoned up person who could talk in one particular tone and couldn't take any breaths. We'll get through there later. And really, <laughs> genius. I cannot. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I feel like genius. The, the level of charisma sometimes is inverse to the, right. the genius. Not always, <laughs> but sometimes. Less charisma, we'll <laughs> yes. say. So he gets, you know, and he is, by the way, wearing, I would argue, about a $2,000 suit. Okay. Now, black, beautiful power tie, white shirt. This guy looks like a million dollars. I'm a little bit more, as you can tell, a comfortable comfort force kind of guy. So I'm in jeans, sneakers, a nice white shirt, nice sport coat, but I'm more of what would, you know, the on the looser side of business fashion. Mm -hmm. And um, we are sitting at this very long conference table. We're at the TED facing each other like, and he does this whole thing, and he goes, all right, well, I'm going to give it to Adam. And this room is dead quiet. And I look at him. I look down at myself. I look at him. I look you know, look at the rest of the audience, and I say, oh, by the way, isn't this like a commercial you once saw about Mac and PC? There's the PC. I'm the Mac. <laughs> and it was a big commercial at the time because it was a stuffy guy in a suit for his PC and a cool, you know, hippie kind of, look at me and my Mac. And, of course, I had a Mac, and he had a PC. And I tell you, everyone in that room laughed for a solid five minutes. Nice. It, the <laughs> tension just like you could have like breaking an egg, just and, you know, and everybody kind of just breathed. And we're like, oh, that was great, you know. And then I was able to go in. And what I feel I did there was, A, we've talked about, I believe we've talked about the idea of a limbic opening. Mm -hmm. yeah, that did. was a limbic opening. That was right. a very powerful, powerful limbic opening. And it broke the tension in the room, but it also disarmed everyone in the room because now everyone in the room don't know me from anyone else, but they do know that they want to like me now mm -hmm. because I disarmed them, because I broke their tension. And then I was able to go in and deliver my presentation, which we ended up do did win the deal for both his side and my side because we were both, you know, well prepared. But the point is... You break the tension, that became memorable. That was something that I would bet 20 bucks to anyone right now. They're all still talking. Remember that guy said the Mega PC thing? That was so funny. They might not even remember what software or what we were even showing them. Now, they're probably when you're able to pick you out of a crowd, they just remember what was talked about. That solidified in their brains. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's it's it's funny how we how we remember things like that that what we are hoping as salespeople is that okay they're going to remember this feature because that's an amazing feature and they're yeah. going to remember this the value of our customer story was you know 2.5 increase in revenue attainment and they're but they that's not what people remember people will remember the things that they attach to emotionally um, and the things that they feel like that they see from the person presenting as something that they can relate to, which from your story, they related to the humor. All of a sudden it was a human element to it. And this is a big part of mirroring actually that when yes. you're watching someone present and you see something in them that makes them a person, 
you're going to connect with the story more. You're going to connect with what they're saying more versus when you see, yeah, I'm sure you've seen the videos where it's like this. Hi, my name is Jack. And I like, you can see their eyes moving, reading the script. (laughs) You know, you've seen those videos. You've seen the presentations where the person has not practiced with a teleprompter and they're up there talking and it's so uncomfortable and you're disconnected from what they're saying because they're not bringing any type of personality. They're not bringing the enthusiasm around anything. So you as a listener are like, well, I, even though you might be excited about the topic as a topic, the presentation is not helping regardless of what's being said. And right. you're not going to remember it other than my goodness. I was so happy when that speech was done. <laughs> Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, remember, uh, our dear listeners, it's not just about what you're actually... uh, I think, I mean, with mirroring, with everything, this is, again, uh, to all address a higher point here, it's not just about the thing that you're showing or selling, it's about how you convey yourself in the meeting to make the whole package rememberable, and that's what you want. You want to remember you and what you do and why they should go with you, because that's going to instill trust. Yeah. So question about mirroring and enthusiasm... Uh, Adam, because I've wrestled with this. There was a concept around mirroring in the book. If I read the actual quote on page, I think it was 61. Um, this is from actually something else. He's writing about someone else's statement. This, I think, is Marco someone. Um, he says right there, we have empathy for the fictional characters. We know how they're feeling because we literally experience the same feelings ourselves. And so... It's- when you're up and presenting, right, and you're showing enthusiasm, I feel like there's two things you could show enthusiasm about. You could show enthusiasm about your product. There's a lot of benefit to that because now you're showing how this is something worth being excited about. Or you can show excitement and enthusiasm for the customer's, like, trajectory and value they're going to get out of it. Which... Which of those, is there a better one? Should you avoid one versus the other? I'm torn between the two. I have a very simple answer to this question. Uh, No one cares about what you like. I mean, yeah. But if if you, but I've been in a situation where I'm around somebody and they're telling me this thing that they're excited about and I'm getting excited about their thing because they're so excited about it. But let me do ask you, you this. Be, do we want to be doing that in – does that work in sales? No. It, 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 mm, that's a tough question. Here, right? My, it, <laughs> here's why I'm pushing against that. In that situation, yes. Like, th- hey, I know you know this technology as well as I do. And this is something that excites the heck out of me. Like, I mean, you know, like when I talk to my some of my automotive friends about – my dirt bikes or my motorcycle, you know, that's something we can geek out on and get excited about. Mm -hmm. But anyone else in the room, like my friend Eric, who doesn't know how to turn a screwdriver, but knows more about Patriots football than anybody I know, he is not interested in that conversation. And if you think about it, that's the same things happening in your meeting. Mm. You could be, you're, you're isolating a certain group and and playing towards them while, you know, maybe the salesperson and the, and the, person holding the purse strings says uh, i'm gonna check my email on my phone because yeah, this isn't relevant point. to me yeah that's a good point it, 
Yeah, you're right. That that personal enthusiasm only goes so far. You're right. Because if someone's starting to talk to me about Patriots football, I'm not going to tie into that enthusiasm, no matter how enthusiastic <laughs> they are. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. So, I mean, I think the focus more that you can be enthusiastic and draw in the emotions about where they're already going, which you know they're going to be, well, hopefully they're going to be interested in because it affects them directly. You have, I think you have a higher percent chance of it working. Right. Yeah. So, Adam, we're going to push pause here, uh, and we're going to continue this conversation in the next episode. I love the conversation about this topic. I know there's a couple things we wanted to talk about in the next episode. Between now and then, uh, if you haven't gotten to it, make sure you get to the section uh, later on in the book about the Hyder. Actually, it's later in the chapter about the Hyder and Simmel animation experiment from 1944. If you look it up on YouTube, it's like a minute and a half. I know you and I want to talk about that, so we're going to talk about that next time. So definitely make sure you're subscribed. You've got us linked or followed wherever. Just make sure you can catch the next episode. But before we go out, Adam, we got to stop by the demo zone. So the what have you got for zone. us today? <laughs> yes, the demo zone. So we're just going to talk about a real basic one. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. Everyone forgets to breathe. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Ever gotten the end of a sentence and gone <gasps> during a presentation? Yes, <laughs> I know you're meaning a different type of breathe, but <laughs> no, yeah, it just just take a breath, take a moment, like find your natural pauses. There's a great one right there. I ended a statement and I kind of let it hang, and mm -hmm. it's okay to do that because <clears throat> here's the thing: if you're going to not breathe, you're going to have a lot of run-on sentences and a lot of run-on thoughts. And besides that, you're not giving your listener a, a moment to actually process what you're saying and put it into their gray matter. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of value in breathing in your demos. There's a lot of value in it. And we're not just talking about staying alive. We're talking about actually, again, those pauses, those moments, and it helps you control your pace. Yeah. Because you don't want to be demoing like this or, or talking like this to anyone and actually not giving them a break to answer a question. And then we're going to go on to this next feature. <laughs> and you can even do it. We don't yeah. know. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the, so I, I will credit. So I, I was talking with um, uh, Paul Pierce from uh, the great demo company, which is uh, Peter Cohen's company. He was doing a, a workshop and he mentioned the concept of, he asked, has anyone, uh, or I don't know if it's a concept, but he said it's, he's seen too many walrus presentations. And I was like, why, why is it a walrus presentation? Because walruses have the ability to hold their breath for up to 20 minutes. And then they'll come up for air and they'll go back down again. And that's how so many of us present. They'll, we'll talk as long as we possibly can, come up for air. Any questions? And then dive right back in for another 20 minutes. We don't want to do that. Take a breath between statements. Let people cement that in their minds and ask a question if they have it. Leave those open pauses there. Good, yeah. good tip. I love it, Adam. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for our time today. Any final thoughts, Adam? No final thoughts, but I look forward to talking to everybody next week. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next episode.